0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, August twenty first, twenty first, two thousand nineteen edition of our little weather get together. And tonight is show number two hundred and eighty nine. So we welcome you uh, to the program. Tonight's guest is Jordan Girth. He works up at the University of Wisconsin Madison, uh, and he works a lot with satellites. And so tonight we're going to be talking about um, the satellites and maybe how five G. Uh, As you've heard in the uh, news over the past couple of months, 5G is starting to come out. Uh, We're going to talk about how 5G may affect some of those weather models and weather forecasts and weather satellites that we use. And so we're going to get to the bottom of that and just see what the uh, problem could be as we uh, begin to advance into the 5G world. So a pretty interesting show tonight. I'm sure you'll be hearing about this uh, throughout the next couple of months as we really start uh, to see this process go down. So we're happy to have Jordan on with us tonight. And uh, we'd love for you to interact with us tonight. As we uh, are a live broadcast, we'd love for you to interact via social media on our Facebook Live, Periscope. Our YouTube page and our Twitch page. All you got to do is ask those questions or submit comments to our guests or even to our panelists, and we'll watch those and monitor them throughout the show. And uh, if you uh, if we see any questions that we need to answer, we'll definitely do that as well. And if you're listening on the podcast version, we'll let Jordan give out some information towards the end of the show how you can find more information about tonight's topic. We do want to uh, mention that there are some uh, strong thunderstorms moving through central North Carolina, moving into the Wadesboro up to Raleigh-Durham area. So you're looking at um, the radar here as uh, some storms move into Raleigh. And there you can actually see some video. Uh, This is from NC State. So uh, those storms really moving into the Raleigh area. Thankfully, it's uh, after... Uh, the rush hours, so we won't see any major traffic concerns. But again, another day of thunderstorms, not only in Raleigh, but throughout the Carolinas. We're going to talk more about that at the uh, end of the show towards the nine o'clock hour. We've had several days of severe weather, and we'll uh, report about that towards the end of the show. So let's get to our guest tonight. Let's bring in Jordan Girth. Uh, Jordan, welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're uh, happy to have you this evening.
1: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, and so, Jordan, uh, first time question uh, that we give our first time guest. Uh, how did you uh, get caught into this uh, crazy weather world that, uh, that we all work in? Kind of tell us uh, the, the background of you and your weather uh, history and how, how you got uh, caught the, uh, the weather bug, per se.
1: Well, I think I caught the weather bug pretty uh, early on. Uh, I have weather records dating back to when I was in kindergarten, actually, and uh, always was fascinated by uh, changes in the weather and trying to predict it and uh, actually using the newspaper to verify my predictions to see if they were right. And, you know, uh, even in kindergarten, you know, the climatology sometimes works out okay for uh, (laughs) making those temperature predictions. Um, and you know I just stuck with it uh, in th- through my high school years and actually volunteered at the National Weather Service and then uh, found a home uh, at the University of Wisconsin the Cooperative Institute for meteorological satellite studies where I did not only my undergraduate work but my graduate work and my postdoc my first job all there in Madison and uh, really started learning about weather satellites and you uh, how we use weather satellites to predict the weather and how weather satellites can even be used um, for uh, other applications.
0: Well, you're speaking of satellites, we wanna go to a quick video. Uh, A lot of you folks may have heard the term satellite, but maybe you're not quite sure what they do. So uh, let's get to this video right quick, show you what it's all about, and then we'll come back and talk about satellites and how the 5G network could be interfering with our weather forecasts.
2: NOAA's environmental satellites provide data from space to monitor the Earth, to analyze coastal waters, relay life-saving emergency beacons, and predict and track tropical storms and hurricanes. NOAA operates three types of satellite systems for the United States, polar orbiting satellites, geostationary satellites, and our deep space satellite. Polar orbiting satellites circle the Earth and provide global information from 540 miles above the surface. Geostationary satellites constantly monitor the western hemisphere from 22,240 miles above the Earth. And our deep space satellite orbits 1 million miles from Earth, providing space weather alerts and forecasts, while also monitoring the amounts of solar energy absorbed by Earth every day satellites enable us to provide consistent long-term observations 24 hours a day seven days a week by remotely sensing from their orbits high above the earth they provide us much more information than would be possible to obtain solely from the surface over 90 percent of the data that goes into our weather models is from satellites they track fast-breaking storms across tornado alley as well as tropical storms in the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. Using satellites, NOAA researchers can also more closely study the ocean. Information gathered by these satellites can tell us about ocean bathymetry, sea surface temperature, coral reefs, and sea and lake ice. Satellites provide other services beyond just imaging the Earth. Monitoring conditions in space and solar flares from the sun help us understand how conditions in space affect the Earth. Satellites also relay position information from emergency beacons to help save lives when people are in distress on boats, airplanes, or in remote areas. Each year, thousands of people are rescued through Sarsat. Search and Rescue Satellite Aided Tracking scientists also use a data collection system on the satellites to relay data from transmitters on the ground to researchers in the field such as measuring tidal heights or the migration of whales monitoring the earth from space helps us understand how the earth works and affects much of our daily lives all right
3: so let's start real basic about weather satellites you know why are weather satellites important and what are the different kinds of weather satellites So there's really two primary
1: weather satellites that are out there. Those are what we call the geostationary. Those orbit with the Earth. Um, So they're always looking at the same point on the Earth. And that's what we have the GOES geostationary operational environmental satellite series that look at the United States, GOES-16 and 17, you might be familiar with. There's also the polar orbiters, those that go from pole to pole, and they actually do so very, very quickly—about every 100 minutes—and the Earth rotates underneath it. So they see, so those satellites see the whole Earth uh, at least twice per day, which is pretty incredible. And we need both sets of those satellites to really get a comprehensive picture of what the atmosphere, uh, the current state of the atmosphere is, and then using those observations and numerical models these kind of complex mathematical algorithms to see what the forecast is going to be, what that storm is going to do. And so it's not only US satellites that contribute that, but there's uh, European satellites, Japanese satellites, Chinese satellites, a vast range of satellites around the world sense the weather. And those uh, weather satellite observations really help on the uh, prediction aspect of
0: things. Jordan, any in this kind of, talk, well, not off topic, but kind of off of what we're going to talk about, any idea of how many satellites there are, weather satellites up there uh, orbiting around?
1: Oh, man, I don't know. There's quite a few I'd have to count, or certainly uh, in the dozens, if you look, uh, include all the international satellites. Uh, you know, I think the U.S. right now uh, in the geostationary orbit, we have uh, about four of them. Um, that are uh, you know, functional, uh, and those uh, two of them are active, GOES-16, 17, and, and GOES-15 is actually helping out uh, GOES-17 during these thermal anomalies that's happening, and then we have one uh, spare. And then in the uh, polar orbit, there's a whole host of them. Uh, the most recent is NOAA-20, um, and these satellites have lifespans of approximately five to 10 years apiece and a lot of them exceed their life expectancy. Um, there's a satellite that, uh, I don't know when NOAA 15 is launching, I have to look it up, but it's uh, been up there for quite a while and it's only starting now to uh, kind of fail as the uh, parts wear out. But uh, you know, these satellites do last a while and they're able to contribute a lot of observations.
0: So tonight uh, we're talking about 5G and and how it may interfere with, with weather forecasting. So, Uh, First of all, maybe for those who who may not know what 5G is, could you kind of give us a brief explanation of that and just kind of talk about uh, this this topic that's come up and just kind of give us a background of of what it's all about?
1: So it all comes down to radio frequencies, and everybody that has a phone uh, probably looks at it. If you're in a rural area, you might see 3G. Most people in cities are now uh, seeing 4G or um, LTE service. Um, These are the kind of enhanced speed cellular services that are out there, and those actually use radio frequencies to get data from the cell towers that you see uh, to your phone. Now, 5G is essentially the next generation. It's actually uh, not very specifically defined in terms of what the speeds are going to be from 5G, um, but it's going to be faster. And so when you're buying new phones, you're probably very soon going to be buying phones that are equipped to handle those 5G signals as we're just starting to see 5G roll out in the uh, United States. Now those radio frequencies uh, are used by satellites as well and because uh, radio frequencies are kind of a finite resource and the government has to kind of parcel them out, uh, there's, we're getting a little bit close to where the weather satellites are operating and the uh, cell phones. And that's uh, kind of the issue with 5G coming online and still trying to obtain quality observations from our weather satellites.
0: And, and so, Jordan, I was reading some articles, and, and one of those articles quoted you saying that this is a global concern um, as, as, as this starts to, to unroll. So kind of talk to us about that, why, why this is a global concern and what it may mean for the weather satellites that you spoke of earlier that are already in orbit.
1: Um, so there's a lot of satellites already in orbit and those satellites, long uh, long-standing tradition of using a, a frequency called 24 gigahertz and 24 gigahertz is, uh, sensitive to land surfaces and it's sensitive to water vapor. And what we use that for is the numerical weather, uh, numerical weather models in the prediction. So... What, what's happening is if 5G rolls out globally and there's all of these signals that are coming online very close to where we're trying to sense the atmosphere, what the weather satellites that have been up there um, and we continue to use will see is actually the 5G signal. And uh, that 5G signal will therefore confuse or could confuse the weather models and the forecast skill could uh, decrease. And that's really the big concern here is not really knowing uh what's going on in the atmosphere because it's being masked by new 5g networks that are going down that are getting
3: rolled out so jordan can you talk about how the weather enterprise has to share space with the communication spectrum
1: Yeah, that's a very interesting thing. So here in the United States, and every country kind of has its own regulatory body in this regard, but, um, you know, think of it as a neighborhood or an apartment building. Um, You've got a lot of people that have to live together. And uh, because of the demand for technology now, there's even more people trying to fit in. So what the FCC is essentially doing is looking for more space to try to uh, cram people in, but uh, you know, again, the neighborhoods, apartment buildings are fixed sizes, and so you can only cram so many <laughs> people into bedrooms or whatever closets to make room for them. And so, what we have here is new five G, which a lot of people want. It's going to be a great thing, uh, you know, advance American innovation. Um, but they're trying to fit it in very, very close to where we're already trying to sense the weather, and it, at some point. Um, you know, we, we all need a little uh, elbow room. It's like flying uh, economy on an airplane.
0: So uh, the water vapor, Jordan, you're, you're talking about, is, is that the main concern that, that, we are, that we're facing? And We see water vapor, we use it a lot for tropics and uh, just seeing the, the way that the storm systems move and the moisture that's available. Is that the main concern or what are some other concerns that, that we find uh, from this?
1: I mean, the big concern here is certainly related to uh, water vapor, although uh, as the FCC continues to look for more places for 5G to roll out, 5G is not going to be one specific frequency. It's not going to be as if 5G needs to be at 24 gigahertz or the whole 5G thing is off. They're gonna, FCC is going to need to find a lot of different frequencies, and those frequencies may be near where we're trying to sense Uh, oxygen, it may be where we're trying to sense other things about the atmosphere, whether it's cloud properties, water vapor, and so on. Water vapor is so fundamentally important to our understanding uh, of the weather and the weather itself. If we took water vapor out of the picture, uh, I think the only thing we would be talking about on shows like this is how hot and dry it was. Um, because a lot of the, the fascinating things about weather are really a result of that water vapor that's in the atmosphere and the, the different forms that, can, that it can exist in. Um, so we need to be able to sense it. We need to know where the distribution of it is uh, in the atmosphere, because without it, really trying to get on that three- to five- to seven-day forecast, uh, it becomes very, very complicated. Some of the short-term forecasts maybe still be possible. It's really where we're trying to push the frontiers of prediction. We're trying to get out in that 7- to 10-day area now. And in order to do that, we need to see storms that are well over the ocean, well far away from uh, uh, land where we have uh, other sensors like radars and weather stations.
0: So it's kind of answering a little bit of what the next question is going to be about. So you're saying this is more of a, maybe a medium to long range forecasting concern. Uh, And and like you said, that's essential for, uh, as we monitor tropical systems coming across the ocean, or uh, you're monitoring uh, maybe a winter storm that's going to affect the central plains and the east coast. I mean, so this is... Um, like you said, the short range, it, it can be okay, but it, it's the long, medium to long range, which is where we as forecasters where we really need to be able to hit on that because it gives people time to prepare for what's coming.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right, and I'm sure you might know about the uh, European model. There's also the uh, American model, um, but the Europeans actually did a study and looked at the impacts of all of this uh uh, water vapor data, this microwave data, as we call it, uh, from the weather satellites, and they looked at it for Superstorm Sandy, and everybody remembers how devastating Superstorm Sandy was for New Jersey uh, and, and other parts of the uh, East Coast. But uh, if, if you look at what the European model did, without some of this critical satellite data that that projected storm would have actually made landfall further north in the predictions, or it would have gone out back to sea and, and eventually made landfall in Europe. So really, we've been able to determine that these observations are very, very important if you're concerned about that advance notice of where storms are exactly going to make landfall. And as we know, there's n- nothing's ever a given, even even though our weather forecast has gotten much better recently. A lot of that due to use of weather satellites, by the way, um, there's still some uncertainty. and We certainly don't want to go backwards with that uh, with
0: that trend. And so, Jordan, I know, you know, there's been a big push um, for, from the folks at the uh, Weather Service and NOAA to, to kind of look at all these ways before we implement this. Uh, what you're just talking about reminds me of the emergency management community uh, where, you know, their priority is getting people prepared, you know, days in advance. So uh, has there been any feedback from that community on what this may mean for, uh, for them and their preparations?
1: I mean, we have reached out to the emergency manager, management community and made sure that they uh, are informed. I'm not sure in the latest proceeding, if anybody's reached out uh, directly to their legislator or to the FCC for some of their public comment periods. But I can tell you that emergency managers want the latest information, and uh, emergency managers are often heavily reliant on some of these communication platforms that we have uh, in order to uh, give a direct line of information to people that need it when disaster strikes. and. Uh, I know the Florida Department of Transportation, for example, has communication systems, not really at that 24 gigahertz, but at a different part of the spectrum that's also being threatened by 5G that gives them, you know information about uh, flood level uh, river levels in the case of flooding to work on those evacuation routes. And so we have very dedicated, Uh, sets of radio frequencies that help with uh, communicating weather information and collecting information. And emergency managers definitely care to make sure that's protected, because you can guarantee when there's a disaster, everybody's going to try to get on their cell phone. And, you know, emergency managers want to make sure the roads are open, people are safe, first responders can get
3: to people when they need to. It's It's a huge thing. And you said everyone's going to be on their cell phone. So that leads to my next question. You mentioned earlier we're going to start seeing more of these cell phones with 5G capability coming out soon. Just how soon are we looking at seeing the effects from this?
1: Um, you know it could be it could be uh, within the next year or two depending on how quickly 5g gets rolled out you know some of that's a question for the uh, telecoms obviously they have to get enough cell phones out there and, and sell their uh, services but I think it's it's going to be very very soon here. There's a global race right now to 5g and uh, they are, there's a set of auctions that the FCC has been holding to try to, sell parts of the spectrum to for use by uh, the telecommunications uh, industry. And so, within the next couple of years, we could start seeing the impacts of this. Of course, the weather community is still working to educate people, um, trying to explain uh, where we can the the possible effects of this to try to make sure that 5G goes into places that won't be as impactful or won't impact uh, our critical weather observations at all.
0: And that was something I was wanting to ask. There, what is the weather enterprise? Uh, what is what are they doing right now? And if we do start to see some of this bleed over into our modeling, is there any other alternate things that the weather enterprise could be doing?
1: Um, so the weather enterprise has been very involved with this. Uh, you know, it's not only the American Meteorological Society, but also the National Weather Association and the American Geophysical Union really concerned about uh, how 5G might uh, impact uh, weather forecasts, and so they've filed briefs with the FCC and uh, worked with legislative staff to make sure that they understand, and it really is a bipartisan issue, We've ha- got attention from it from both Democrats and Republicans, and they understand people who live in weather-sensitive areas, whether you're in Washington uh, State or you're in Oklahoma, the impacts of that. Um, As far as uh, the, as far as uh, say the second part of your question again, I'm sorry, I forgot it.
0: So if if we do start to see some of this bleed over and the water vapor element is contaminated a little bit, is there any other alternate things that, Uh, that, that can be going on that can kind of help us suffice with, with information we need? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, So, you know, we, first of all, we do need to make sure that the spectrum is protected because the, the, the 24 gigahertz, some of these are very unique observations that we're not going to get anywhere else. Now, um, in very marginal situations, we may be able to find uh, and launch other instruments that could, uh, you know, augment the, uh, uh, the weather observations that we have today. So additional weather satellites, uh, for example, uh, something fancy called hyperspectral soundings might help mitigate the effects. They probably won't eliminate it completely. Um, and it certainly depends on the extent at which the 5G networks are rolled out. A more widespread uh, 5G network using frequencies similar to what we're trying to sense is going to have a much greater impact. It'll be much more difficult to, to, to mitigate than just having you know, uh, uh, one or two cities uh, somewhere uh, that, that that might have a much more limited or regional impact.
0: So I know we were talking about the future. We, we talked about the, you know, the, the future rollout. Uh, but as we go in, like you said, the next year, year to two years, I mean, what is the future? What are we What are we working on? What are you guys working at in your office to kind of see this, this through?
1: Well, you know, UW-Madison, University of Wisconsin-Madison, and Space Science Engineering Center, Cooperative Institute for Meteorological Satellite Studies, that is actually the birthplace of satellite meteorology. So there's a large history going back 50, 60 years working on weather satellite experiments, and the scientists that work at SSCC are continuing to look for new ways to really get weather information from satellite infer- from satellite imagery. There's looking at pictures, and that's, that's great. It's great for geeking out. There's a lot of very subtle information that we can get, gain from that imagery, comparing images to each other, comparing different spectral bands, as we call them, slightly different uh, wavelengths of, of energy. And by doing all that, we can really assist weather forecasters in doing their job and making a very high quality forecast coming out of the numerical models, those complex algorithms, and, you know, translating into warnings that I think everybody can take uh, with more greater confidence.
0: Well, Jordan, we we certainly uh, appreciate you joining us uh, tonight, talking about this, and I'm sure uh, we'll continue to hear more about it. Any other kind of closing thoughts or or? Anything like that? Uh, as we um, as we come upon, I think December is the next time that we see uh, some of these uh, auctions take place for for the, the frequencies.
1: Yeah, I mean, if people are uh, interested in this, of course, set your Google News alerts to five G and weather. Uh, we probably haven't heard the issue, uh, the last of this issue yet. Uh, American Meteorological Society. I'm actually the chair of a committee on radio frequency allocations. Um, We're doing some great work, so you can uh, go to uh, the American Meteorological Society at ametsoc.org slash radio, and you'll see our committee. And uh, on the left-hand side of that webpage, there's some resources that links to uh, to news stories and other things that are out there. So feel free to stay informed by uh, keeping track of the issue through those two two means. And it's not going away anytime soon. Uh, Continue to pay attention to this if you care about uh, weather forecasts and timely warnings.
0: Jordan, we certainly appreciate that. And um, we hope hope that all this can get worked out where it benefits the weather community, but also... I mean, I think we also want a little bit 5G on our phone to to have (laughs) some faster, uh, faster service and things like that. So we appreciate um, you joining us tonight. And uh, again, would you mind uh, sending out those Web page addresses and uh, uh, maybe Twitter handles that uh, that folks not only who want to follow this, but also want to follow follow more uh, stuff coming out of uh, Wisconsin, Madison there with the, the satellite research that you all do?
1: Uh, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, at JJ Girth. Uh, my last name is G E R T H. And uh, just remember, we can have five G and we can have accurate weather forecasts. They can coexist. We just gotta work on those property lines a little bit, so we can we can all we can all get to get get along. Um, but we got to do so carefully and uh, make sure that uh, everybody's playing nice in the
0: sandbox. And while we're talking about what people can do, this slipped my mind, but if, how can the public, I mean, do they have a voice in this? How, who, what can they do to help uh, keep our uh, 5G, but also keep good weather information as well?
1: Oh, I mean, uh, you know, we live in a democratic society. People know how to reach out to their uh, federal government legislators. That's the best way to do that. Uh, your House uh, representative and senator tell them, hey, you know, I'm concerned about uh, weather forecasts. Weather forecasts have a big deal for me or my business, uh, but I also want 5G. And so, um, you know, I think by hearing from hearing that balanced approach is really what we seek in the weather uh, community. You know, we want to be- make sure we're using our, uh, our radio frequencies effectively, um, but we also understand that we have to have 5G because that's how uh, commerce happens around here. And, you know, there's no, there's no taking uh, – those those crazy tornado videos away from anybody and they got to be coming streaming faster than ever. So we understand how it all works. um, And, you know, uh, we're fortunate to have uh, our legislators on both sides of the aisle uh, be paying attention to this because everybody does understand what accurate weather forecasts mean for people uh, in the path of storms or who have to evacuate. And, uh, you know, we obviously don't want to jeopardize that.
0: Jordan, Thank you so much for uh, your time. We appreciate it. Um, If you want to, stick around. If if not, if you have to go, we certainly understand that. I do want to uh, go ahead and toss it over to Jared Smith, who has uh, the latest look at the tropics and some of uh, the weather news that we've been uh, monitoring over the past week. Jared?
3: Yeah, we're going to get to the tropics here in a minute. It's uh, you know, I blame I blame, uh, I blame uh, former guest uh, uh, Jonathan Erdman for this. He said that there was going to be uh, he was thinking it might be zero for August, and then all of a sudden we got Chantal, and now we might have something else uh, trying to fire up. So we'll see. We'll get we'll get there in a second, but. Uh, Couple things, a couple newsworthy things uh, that have uh, come about. One of them very relevant to the discussion that we just had. So, an inspector general's report was just released last week, um, talking about some of the malfunctions on the GOES-R satellites. So, GOES-17, as we may have, you know, as we've talked about before, has an issue where uh, not all of the channels are available uh, because of the instrument overheating, and um, as a result. As a result, we lose you know, water vapor, we lose some of the infrared channels, um, and that really has a major impact uh, you know, during uh, like warm times uh, where the satellite is uh, more pointed directly at the sun. And so Inspector General went back and tried to figure out what's going on. Well, what had happened was they didn't test for it properly. They had a fix, but they didn't test it in a vacuum. Space is a vacuum. So yeah, great. It works with it. great works great in a normal atmosphere. Yeah, goes 17 does not operate in normal atmosphere. So um, lots of uh, lots of interesting things coming out of that. Um, As it turned out, uh, one of the uh, contractors should have had their pay docked uh, for not meeting certain performance benchmarks and milestones that did not happen. They got their full payment. Uh, So suffice to say there's a a little consternation about that right now and 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 it's interesting go 16 actually may have a similar problem it's just not noticeable it's just it's still within the normal threshold so um who needs 5g when the call is coming from inside the house if i'm alright so uh so we'll see uh you know we'll see we'll see what happens hopefully they can get the issue corrected on the next uh, two satellites to go up but you know it, it certainly makes you concerned like we have this we have this great technology but um it, it may begin degrading faster than we think. And um, 5G or no 5G, this is something that'll be very interesting to watch. Um, and, and the space weather guys, the, uh, some of the instruments that they use to monitor ejections from the sun, isn't working as well. They're actually relying on the older satellites for that. So this is something up with these uh, GOES-R series. It's very unfortunate to read. Uh, we love GOES-16. We love the ABI. Um, and it's uh, it's kind of sad to see. Hopefully, they can get some of these fixed for the next round. And now, a little nightmare fuel, um, courtesy of tropical cyclones. So, uh, uh, researchers a couple months ago published a study. Um, you know, they're talking about you know insects and 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 how they look. Do you remember some of those pictures of the ant hills that were going around after Florence? You know, the floating ant hills. It's like, oh God, those are just absolutely terrible. I can do you one worse. How about hangry spiders? Yes. Hangry spiders, angry, hungry, hangry, more aggressive. They've been, these spiders were found to be more aggressive in the wake of tropical cyclones because there isn't as much food around, not as much prey. So everyone, so it's a more competitive environment, uh, to, uh, to get food. And so, Areas that were hit very hard with Florence. So uh, these re- researchers went out and uh, measured, uh, they, they would tap on the webs and measure the response time to figure out how aggressive uh, to, to get a, you know, a qualitative, quantitative measurement rather of uh, aggression. And, uh, and, and yeah, and as it turns out, it looks like there is some correlation there. They believe that it could be the prey. We'll see, you know, more research to be done, but um yeah, if a tropical storm comes through and uh, and you see a spider, you might want to steer clear.
0: You know, I don't um, think I I don't think I want that job, Jared. I think I'll pass on that research job.
3: Yeah, that that research job is just not you know that's uh that that's something I I prefer to look at the the causes of the the cyclone itself. I'll leave the hangry spiders to others. Um, that's I
0: wonder, fine. I wonder if we could call Peter a hangry spider when he goes to Cinnabon
3: well i'm sure we could i mean i mean i, I yeah. think I, I think we've all kind of been there am i right or am i right anyway it, absolutely so, yeah yeah so before we let the hangar get out of hand um I've, I've got a cinnabon down the street i might have to make a quick run now uh we do have um some activity in the tropics like i mentioned at the top we do have some we the tropics are starting to heat up we're starting to get into that peak of the season um And we're starting to see some signs that maybe things are trying to stir up. Now, it's not quite what you think. It's certainly nothing in the main development region that still remains relatively quiet. Uh, But we do have a couple of uh, systems that are kind of fascinating. So the first one is Tropical Storm Chantal. Surprise! This happened last night at about 10 o'clock. I put out a special tropical weather outlook, and they're like, um, oh, we have a tropical We have a tropical storm out here okay that's cool so where the where the heck did it come from as it turns out do you remember that soaking we got along the carolina coast this past weekend we had the nhc kind of looking at it see if it was going to form well it did end up forming that became chantal that but it's for 500 miles now um you know southeast of nova scotia it's going to do a little loop-de-loop in the north atlantic with 40 mile an hour winds and then it's going to dissipate and it's just going to fall apart. Shipping traffic, are going to have to watch out for it, but no threat to land. Now, a little bit closer to home, we do have an area of disturbed weather in the Bahamas. It's not really gotten an invest number yet. They're just kind of watching this area. Um, over the weekend, it may uh, start drifting uh, closer to the southeast coast, may develop into something. Hard to say if it if it might. It's got a 20% chance. You know, you know 20 is not zero, but it's not 100 either, so... Not to say that there will be something out there, but a little tropical wave could enhance some rainfall once again for coastal sections, uh, getting into the weekend and into early next week. Hurricane center is watching it for now. Nothing to worry about. Just, just something to keep an eye on and a good reminder that it is tropical season. And, um, these things do turn on a dime. So if you've, you know, if you've been breaking into your hurricane snacks, uh, maybe you don't want to do that. So, um, So, you know, so that's the news. That's all the news that's fit to podcast. Uh, James, Scotty, you got some storm reports for us. It's been a busy weather day uh, up in North Carolina.
4: Yep, that's right, Jared. I will take it from here. It has been yet another day of uh, severe weather here in the Carolinas. Let's start right now with those storm reports on your screen right now. We're looking at all of the storm reports thus far. That have come in and been verified by the National Weather Service. And for those of you listening on our podcast, what we're looking at here is numerous reports of trees down from Greensboro into Winston-Salem, even back towards the Hickory area. And this is really what we want to begin our conversation on tonight as we digest the ongoing severe weather uh, that we've been seeing the last few nights here in the Carolinas. Let's look first at some Twitter pictures that came in of uh, the result. Of a microburst this was in Iredale County near Statesville just north of the Charlotte area and you can see the extensive tree damage that came down along Highway 70 uh, just to the west of Statesville and what we believe happened is a microburst came through all associated with a severe thunderstorm so I've taken radar scope here and I've pulled the clock back to about 430 or so and watch here in the Hickory area and then areas towards Bethlehem Alexander County and eventually over here towards the Iredale area in Statesville. And what you're looking at on the left-hand side of your screen is the rain reflectivity. On the right side of your screen, the wind velocity and just look right about here. You see these wind uh, intensities that red area now turning pinkish whitish. That says winds are climbing up towards 70 miles an hour. And then right here, right near the Bethlehem areas where we begin to see what we suspect was a microburst. And you'll remember from weeks past, that's when all of the winds come shooting out like a funnel down from the storm and out. And it was at this moment that we think as the winds were coming down and out ahead of the storm, we actually got a little waterspout or gust NATO. Scotty Powell found this video and Scotty, let's roll it here on the screen. And uh, this was in that general vicinity. Tell us a little bit about what we saw.
0: Yeah, so uh, we had three or four severe thunderstorm mornings at the time that this was issued, and uh, this all originated in the foothills and continued through the Hickory into the uh, Statesway area. I had a firefighting friend send me a, a, a text and said, hey, there's a water spout on Lake Hickory, and I kind of just laughed at him. I was like, no, no, not not really, and then uh, sound, uh, found this video was sent to me, and so I uh, reached out to the, the gentleman uh, who uh, shot this, Mr. Um, Matt Quarles, and Matt said, yeah, definitely, indeed, at 435, right before the thunderstorm moved through the area, uh, we did see a little bit of a, uh, he got a water spout. Um, I was able to talk with uh, the weather service in Greenville-Sparkberg. They called it a gustnado, uh, so gustnado water spout. And so, yeah, it was very brief, but as you can see here, definitely uh, definitely a little uh, gustnado out over Lake Hickory. Uh, thankfully, uh, no damage was reported, but uh, it was the, uh, the start. Of uh, James, what you're talking about later on in Shelby, seeing those amazing pictures of all those um, large trees that were down from these uh, high winds.
4: The left-hand side of your screen right now, we're looking at video from Monday. This was as another microburst. This one near Charlotte Douglas International Airport in Charlotte brought winds of over 65 miles an hour and some dime-sized hail. So today marks the third strike day of seeing some severe weather in the Charlotte area. You can see the wind whipping in this video from, from Monday. Uh, and you'll have to just take our word for it that there was some dime size hail falling. Uh, on Tuesday, we also had a strong thunderstorm, not a severe thunderstorm, uh, come on through and actually flood some roadways in the uptown area, resulting in a water rescue of two people who were in a vehicle that traveled into a flooded roadway. And yet again, a reminder, if you see water on the roadway, turn around, don't drown. You don't know how deep that water is, and luckily those people are doing okay tonight. Uh, So uh, we're again right now at this hour for our live viewers continuing to watch uh, some strong thunderstorms that are moving now through central parts of North Carolina. We can see it here on the weather service radar from Raleigh and you can actually see one of those outflow boundaries that dark blue line out ahead of the rain and that's where we would see a lot of this wind kicking up Uh, and so we'll continue to monitor this right now guys. No warnings on this and uh, Scotty I understand you have one additional storm survey report that you wanted to talk about from Saturday.
0: Yeah, James, uh, I'm not sure you got that uh, graphic that that we got popped up here. Maybe we can get that. Uh, but uh, there was some thunderstorms that moved through uh, central South Carolina. In fact, in uh, Newberry County, that is where we saw uh, another uh, large thunderstorm, damaging straight line wind downburst. A wind event, Uh, this was from the uh, National Weather Service in Columbia, South Carolina, in the city of Newberry. This was, again, on uh, August 17th, and uh, we saw a, a downburst happen where 85 to 95 mile per hour wind uh, occurred in that area, uprooted some trees, uh, created some damage on, onto some homes and things like that. So uh, it's been a very active uh, active weekend, week per se, with the severe weather. And so 85 to 95 mile per hour winds, that, that'll definitely do some damage um, in the area. So uh, it looks like we're going to continue to see this thunderstorm threat for your Thursday and for Friday. And you can see the graphic there of the, uh, the downburst winds. So Uh, We're going to continue to see the threat for uh, thunderstorms Thursday, Friday. Uh, Again, uh, Friday actually could be a little bit stronger as we see a cold front approach the area. It's going to kind of give a little bit more instability, a little bit more wind shear. And so I definitely think uh, the threat for severe weather will be present uh, on Thursday, but also a little bit uh, more present on Friday as that cold front moves through the area. And Jared was alluding to, it kind of stalls out. And James was all, uh, James also alluding to the flooding threat. So stalled front with uh, rounds of heavy rain. We could also see some excessive rainfall um, fall in the uh, in the Carolinas over the weekend. Um, I know a lot of folks are kind of happy about the uh, cool down that's coming. But just know that cool down is actually being accompanied by rain, thunderstorms, and clouds. So it's not going to be a sunny 83-degree day with no humidity. It's actually going to be cloudy with rain showers and temperatures around 80 through the weekend. So definitely – not going to be the best uh, weekends for you uh, being outdoors here in the Carolinas.
4: Hey, Scotty, I got one more thing to uh, add. Just came across uh, the desk here, and I'm just working on getting my camera back up on the screen, maybe, so you okay. guys can see me talk. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, it turns out that with uh, some of this severe weather that uh, rolled through the uh, Charlotte area today, there was a malfunction of the Cabarrus County government oh, yeah, alert yeah. system, an error by our automated system reading off here on the side of the screen posted an incorrect warning to our social pages. This is the Cabarrus County government on... uh facebook we are investigating the cause of that error we take our role to provide accurate and trustworthy information very seriously and apologize for any confusion that this may have occurred i think this happened during about the 5:30, 6 o'clock time this was that same line that came from the hickory area through iredale and eventually into caparis uh and Rowan uh, as it was traveling that line there so it seems like at least on social media on maybe some of their other digital platforms there was some sort of data problem uh, that caused it to incorrectly get transmitted as a tornado warning so uh, we'll just uh, confirm to everyone that uh, short of that little gust gustnado or baby water spout that we saw uh, which wasn't warned for being a tornado there was no tornado warning at all uh, in the area today
0: yeah definitely i saw the uh, a lot of folks work at charlotte motor speedway and some folks saying well there's a tornado warning here and it just a malfunction so um, thankfully uh, no uh, tornado warning there so that is some good news so uh, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap up the show tonight I do want to say next week we are taking off so uh, we will not be live on the air next week so um, we hope you'll miss us I'm sure we'll have some content rolling but uh, we're going to take a little uh, little break a little breather before we enter uh, September and October and well we know that's the peak of hurricane season we'll probably be some long nights of doing some live broadcast of uh, tropical weather specials. So, uh, we're going to take uh, next week as a breather and kind of uh, get some rest before we enter the uh, the peak season of the tropics. So, uh, we will be back, returning back on the following Wednesday uh, in September, talking about some. Um, I think we have uh, with us um, uh, documenting the uh, 2018 hurricane season. Um, with uh, with our good friend um, who documented that and my mind is going to a blink so I can't remember his name, (laughs) but we're going to be talking about that uh, with uh, Mark Suddeth. That's who it is, Mark Suddeth. Mark, I apologize if you're watching tonight. Mark will be on with us, uh, talking about uh, his documentary on the uh, Hurricane Florence and Michael last year. So, we hope you have a great evening out there. Again, remember stay weather aware over the next few days as we uh, monitor the chance for more strong to severe thunderstorms Thursday and Friday afternoon, and then kind of a cloud cloudy gray cooler rainier weekend um as that front stalls out and we'll also be monitoring the tropics to see if anything spins up off of the coast so we hope you have a great weekend and we'll see you back here for another episode of the carolina weather group in two weeks we'll talk to you later
2: hey this is tim
3: pounds digital content editor for the carolina weather group we hope you enjoyed today's show Be sure to check out our weekly live stream every Wednesday at 8.15 Eastern on all the major streaming applications such as Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, and Twitch, just to name a few. Additionally, be sure to check out our weekly podcasts that are published on all your favorite applications like Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Apple Podcasts.
0: Stay weather aware, drive hands-free, and have a wonderful day.